We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's Big Blue Banter, the answer to all your Giants matters. From run game to coaching to Bob Shepard's timbre. Hosted by Dan Schneier, analysis on fire. A Giants fan since day one, now preaching to the choir. Joined by Nick Filato, breakdowns with bravado. Passing you the facts like he passes on gelato. From just outside New York, a couple football dorks. A killer podcast when Dan says receiver corpse. They do the play-by-play, dropping almost every day. These experts know the X and O's just like Danny O'Shea. They do the review of the All-22, dissecting every throw. OCU Minora lit up in Venora when he was a guest on the show. So there you have it, a podcast for Giants fans who are rabid, who can't wait for Sundays, the NFC East, the Fantasy League standings. We'll see you back here. It's Big Blue Banter. Welcome back. It's the Big Blue Banter New York Giants podcast. And oh my God, this is going to be a wild one. Strap right in. Raw emotions from both myself and Nick. We talked off pod. We cut ourselves off because we knew that we needed to get this recorded. Like we were giving away too much that wasn't even being recorded. I'm losing my mind here, Nick. Just just cut me off. Jump in. Say something. Get, let me get. Let me ground myself, please. Yeah, Dan, it's going to be all right. Probably not because that was a very, a very soul-crushing, bone-crushing type of loss. Because again, man, there were a lot of positive things. If, if, you, if we can just step back from just the absolute disappointment that we just witnessed, there were a lot of positive things to glean and to take away from this game. But the way they ended up losing that game just throws all that crap out the window. And I don't even want to think about the fact that Daniel Jones looked pretty good in primetime television, making some big boy type of throws. The fact that Jason Garrett deep deviated from his 2020 just vanilla type of offense and we saw some play calls that we've been calling for on this podcast we were witnessing all of that in fucking in or sorry in freaking real life everybody it's gonna happen tonight sorry yeah, if you're, yeah. listen we've had you listeners come in and say i listen to this in my kitchen and my kids are sometimes available guess what I, we have tried our best, Nick and myself, to make this a family-friendly podcast, and we do not curse on this podcast. But tonight, all bets are off. So if you're, you typically listen in your kitchen with your kids, we know we, we like you. You're one of our favorite listeners. I'm not taking a shot at you, but I'm saying this. Do not listen to this podcast with your kids around. Go back into it, Nick. Go ahead. It, it, it was just... So many mistakes, man. And this is a team that is predicated and it's always talked about how it's fundamentally based and there's not going to be mistakes and we're going to be well coached, but they're not. 
They make dumb mistakes. How many times can coaching mistakes happen, let alone player mistakes, also transpire in some sort of manner? I mean, how many false start penalties can knock this team out of field goal range? Like that, 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 is, that blows my mind, that neutral zone infraction by Dexter Lawrence. That was the ultimate just microcosm of this New York Giants team right now. And maybe I'm being a little bit overly emotional, but this is one of the tougher losses that I think, think the Giants have suffered since the Deshaun Jackson game, to be honest. It's so funny you say that because literally we had, I had this conversation before this. Is that you? you? Yeah. Literally, my brother who's with me right now and may or may not be making a guest appearance on the Big Blue Banter podcast. For those of you who don't know, I'm on vacation in Austin with my brother. Great weekend. It's going to be a great weekend. We're going to try to find a way to not let this ruin the weekend. We've talked a lot. I'll talk about how we can't let this ruin our weekend. But we had this exact conversation. Is this the most disappointing loss since the Deshaun Jackson run back with Matt Dodge. And I think it is. The stakes were different. The Giants were playing for the division that day against the Eagles. But just the way everything happened. And I want to take this back to what you said, Nick, because this loss to me is on the coaching. And that's now two losses in a row where I can potentially pin it on the coaching. The last one, not as much. This one, for sure. It's not just that last offside, which is bad. It's the coaching at the end of the game, which we're going to get into because you know, Nick, you know me well enough to know that that run, run pass on third down bullshit to stop the clock and lose the game ain't up my alley ain't will never be up my alley. And in my opinion, was a big reason they lost this game. But it's not just that. It's the simple execution mistakes they made, like the special teams one. How about the false starts that took them out of field goal range on that one drive where they had to punt and lost, took three points off the board that would ultimately end up winning this game. But because they false started twice in a row, whatever that stupid crap was, there were coaching errors throughout this game. This team was not as prepared as it should be for a victory lap Joe Judge all the victory laps in the offseason for Joe Judge who won six games last year including four against quarterbacks who are not playing in the NFL this year and that's the damn truth of it here four of the Giants six wins last year were not against quarterbacks who are playing in the NFL this year it was an overrated year the Giants made minimal progress last year and, that, and that's what's coming out tonight it's the raw emotion Nick I'm going to calm down that. I needed to get that out because the victory laps for Joe Justice offseason were despicable for a team that won four games against quarterbacks who aren't playing in the NFL right now and aren't get starting in the NFL right now. Get it out. And I'm still like, we're not, like, I'm not off the I Joe needed Judge that. I needed that. I'm sorry. All right. I no, I got that. you. I got you. I'm not, I'm not against Joe Judge. Like, I'm not out on Joe Judge. I want to make that clear right now. I want to yeah. make that clear. It's so hard to find head coaches. The Giants just cycled through McAdoo and Shermer, two horrific head coaches. And yeah, Shermer calls a pretty good game offensively, but he's a horrific head coach. It's impossible to find head coaches in this NFL, but we can't take victory laps on guys who don't deserve victory laps. And he has not deserved a victory lap yet. And he had a really bad game tonight. And he didn't have a great game in week one and I want to make that clear but before we get into that Nick I do want to tell you a funny story before we get into any more about this game so my brother and I here in Austin on vacation we're watching in a bar and at this point we're a few drinks deep and the bartender can just see me I'm at that bar Nick and I am my head is in my hands man because this was a tough one for me dude I'll be honest with you this was a tough one to watch so a tough one to sit through because my brother and I are sitting next to each other. We know what's going to happen. When we do that run, run, pass, incomplete, settle for that field goal, we both looked at each other and we said, we know how this game is ending. We know this game is ending in a field goal. Why do we know that? Well, there's a few reasons. One, in today's NFL, kickers are really good. Kickers are really, really, really good. When you have two minutes and one timeout, you don't really have to move the ball that much to win the game. Like, you're just – Washington moved the ball pretty easily there. There wasn't like, you know – 
much you could do about that. And then they just get in the field goal range. They win that game. So we kind of knew how that game was going to end at that point when you're only up by two at that point. But this bartender like sees the agony in both of us. But there's so much angst and agony. And he goes, what do you guys shoot? What do you guys shoot? So he sends us this fat, I mean, fat jameson shot this thing was so fat dude and so i shot that about at this point what what is it 15 minutes ago so i'll let you know this nick and for the listeners as well that thing's probably kicking in in about like seven to ten minutes at this point because alcohol takes some time to kick in this was a fatty jmo shot this was probably too deep after like 12 drinks deep on the night so things are going to be said tonight that i will regret i know that for a fact but it's just the reality of the situation right now this game, dude, like like I said earlier, there were positives, but they all get thrown out the window by the way they lost. And I love Dexter Lawrence, but to jump off sides in that situation, I mean, that is so undisciplined. It's so reckless. It's just a colossal mistake by a third-year player who a lot of Giant fans love. And the fact that Dustin Hopkins actually ended up missing that 48-yard field goal. Because again, like you said, Dan, like – Kickers are really good. He missed the 48-yard field goal. And I pumped my – you know me, Dan. You've watched football games with me. I am not somebody who is showing my emotion. Now, there's a lot of emotion going on inside. But when I saw Hopkins miss that field goal, I pumped my fist and I said, the Giants may not have deserved that win because of the mistakes they've made. But I will take that division win. And then I saw the laundry and I was like, they don't deserve it at all. And he nailed the 42-yarder or whatever it was. And I mean – just incredibly disappointing. And, you know, I think we should probably start with the defense, bro. And I can't wait to get to the All-22. And if anybody hasn't seen it yet, I released a uh, on YouTube, on our Big Blue Banter YouTube page. Go check it out. Subscribe, comment, like, do all that good jazz. I released all of the Denver Broncos third and fourth down attempts and why the Denver Bronco- Broncos were able to take advantage of the Giants. And in this game, there were just big plays, again, by this New York Giants defense that is not living up to what we expected them to be from what we saw from them in 2020, despite the fact, Dan, that they added new personnel that should theoretically make them perform in a better manner. Yeah, it's really interesting. I will start on the defense. I wish we kind of started on the offense because I actually have a lot of good things to say about the offense. It's gonna like the tone's gonna flip for me real quick when we talk about the offense because so odd. <laughs> this is one of the better games I've seen from Jones in his career. I was big on Daniel Jones in this game. I'm pro. This was a very good game from Jones. So we'll get to that. We'll get to the good. But if we're gonna start on the defense, it's gonna be starting on the bad because I'll start with Graham here. I'll start with Graham here, Nick, because here's my thoughts on Graham in this game. Right, my thoughts here are this. You have Taylor Heineke, who has minimal NFL snaps. You have a Washington line that has a clear glaring problem that was shown throughout the game. Samuel Cosby is not ready to play. I think Samuel Cosby is a solid NFL prospect. I liked him a lot coming into the draft. I thought he had really nice footwork. Probably not as strong as I think he might need to be to be this great tackle. But right now in his career, he's a liability on that line. So you have a liability on your line plus a quarterback who has minimal snaps. Your game plan should be single high, blitz the entire time like the Steelers did against Josh Allen, just firing guys, fire, 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 be at the line of scrimmage, have every bone at the line of scrimmage, just firing away. And yet we saw so much off coverage. We saw so few blitzes. There were some blitzes mixed in, like, and some of them worked, but I mean, it should be the entire game plan. It should be relentless the entire time. Like you saw with the Steelers against Josh Allen last week. That's what it should be against Taylor Heineke with a clear problem like Samuel Cosme. And that's my biggest problem with the defense in this game, Nick. It was the game plan from uh, Patrick Graham. So I'm curious to hear your take on that. So the the whole off coverage thing, 
I understand what Patrick Graham is doing. I think a lot of NFL teams do this. I think it was still probably a little bit more off than I personally would like. A lot of teams end up kind of playing off in the red, in the red zone, not like directly on the goal line, but between like the 35 to maybe the 15 or something like that. They'll play a little bit off because in that area of the field, you see a lot of fades, you see a lot of slants, and you kind of, if you play off and kind of keep everything in front of you, you can get a good beat on those routes that are kind of coming underneath of you. So that that's where I think his mind was. I just think that the Giants were just a little bit too far off and McLaurin was a little bit too quick and they were giving him too much space to operate. And that's kind of where I had a problem with that specific type of coverage. But Typically, teams don't always, if they don't trust their cornerbacks, and this is kind of maybe a little bit of an indictment on the Giants cornerbacks, just because specifically for Terry McLaurin, because McLaurin was tearing up the Giants. And again, haven't seen the All-22 yet. This is me just going off broadcast. Because when you align and press, if you get beat off the line of scrimmage, then you're screwed kind of thing. So they were aligning way off. And I feel like on that last drive before the end of the first half, they were just saying, okay, yeah, carve us up in the middle. We're going to hunker down. We're going to drop seven, possibly even eight in the red zone. And you're not going to be able to score on us. But alas, just like week one, the Washington football team ended up scoring to close out that first half, which was an abysmal just thing that ended up happening for the team obviously that was playing the New York Giants. And this is two weeks in a row that the Giants allowed a, a, a drive to 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 score a touchdown right before the end of the first half. And I mean, I hope that doesn't become a trend, but this is two weeks, two losses. This loss was obviously very, very close. A lot of points left on the field by the New York Giants. And this defense, we expected them to play well against even good quarterbacks. This is Taylor Heineke. No, I'm knocking Taylor Heineke, but he's an undersized journeyman. No, 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 knocking because the Giants aren't going to get this luxury of facing a Taylor Heineke every week. So this deserves to be knocked. We can't just sit here in this fake reality among Giants Twitter where like you're going to get Taylor Heineke 17 games a season. This was supposed to be an easy matchup, okay? You can't let Taylor Heineke complete 80% of the passes for 330 yards and basically not miss a throw. That's just not the reality because you're going to get Aaron Rodgers. No, I'm not saying you're doing this. I'm not at all. I I agree with you. I'm saying from the standpoint that Taylor Heineke stepped up when he needed to step up. Like that throw to Ricky Seals-Jones, that was an excellent throw over Adoree Jackson, who other than that play, Adoree Jackson looked really good to me on the broadcast film. But then there was that play and it's like, oh my gosh. I mean, and the fact that the Giants, I mean, they settled for that field goal after those two after those two false start penalties, which is abysmal, and they allowed a two-play drive, Dan, a two-play yep. drive against Taylor Heineke right. for a touchdown. I mean, that is you, – you can't have that happen. Like this whole thing about, oh, the Giants can be a top-10 defense, they've looked like a bottom yep. five – I would say, yeah, bottom what? Eight defense in the NFL through these first week and a half? Because no There's one else no Giants or it's anything but bottom five, bottom eight when you let Taylor Heineke and Teddy Bridgewater complete 85% of the passes and torch you up. And by the way, like, yes, you're right. That pass to the Ricky Seals-Jones was a nice throw. I thought it was his best ball of the day. But some of those seam balls, man, those things floated in yeah. the air and those things took way too long to get there and still got there. And that's Absolutely. kind of why I did not think Taylor Heineke was throwing the ball that well. And it's like, Put some damn – have your game plan look like that Steelers stuff. Like, why can't the Giants run a super aggro game plan against a guy like this? Like, come out and say, listen, it's Taylor Heineke. We can run aggro on him. Just fire away. Fire away. Make it so he has to throw downfield accurately. He did, and when you play this style of defense, it just gives him the opportunity, just like it did Teddy Bridgewater, to hit quick game, to hit stuff underneath. And those seam balls, man, like I just can't go back to these seam balls. They were floating in the air and somehow completed. It's crazy. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. 
Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The one play that I, that I saw, it was it was a play that I illustrated on that YouTube and that you and I went over on the podcast as well. They took that field side corner and they dropped him deep to, to a deep half responsibility and they relied on the apex defender, Darnay Holmes, to cover just an obscene amount of land. And that ended up being, I think, like a deep like kind of post to Terry McLaurin on one of the big early third down calls. Now I don't know how many times Patrick Graham ran that coverage, but it seems like already teams are catching on to that because every time they see a cornerback bail to a deep half responsibility, they're going to target the sideline to the field. And a lot of these quarterbacks have the arm strength to do that, especially when there's not a, really any kind of defending threat in that area outside of a Darnay Holmes. And that is no referendum on Darnay Holmes. That's a very hard response responsibility for that nickel cornerback to handle you're damn right it's a hard responsibility and that might be something that Giants want to put him you know moving forward you don't want to put him in that position I think it's potentially the case um let's let's move forward but before we move forward we have a guest appearance coming in for the first time ever a guest in podcast in big blue banter history while recording from the same location it is my brother Mr. Matt Schneier's coming in has some heat he needs to get off his chest. It's a raw emotional night. We're in Austin, Texas. We were trying to have a great time. We're going to have a great time. Like We have a good plans for the next two days. But we both talked about and discussed in-game, while that game was happening, that roller coaster. I mean, this was an emotional roller coaster for any Giants fan. We discussed how much better the weekend was going to be if they won. We had the win. Matt walked out of the bar. He literally was four steps out of the bar after the field goal miss. We were celebrating, and I saw the corner of my eye, that flag sign that yellow flag. And I just, I said, Matt, when you come back inside, dude, it's not, it's somehow not over, but he needs to get off his chest some heat. So here he goes making his big blue banter podcast debut. The, the mic is yours, Matt. Jump right in. Listen, I'm, I'm not going to come in as hot as my brother has for the past 15, 20 minutes, but you know, clap it up for Joe judge, man. A year and a half. He's fooled everyone into thinking he's a great coach. It's amazing with these press conferences, like truly amazing that he's just shown that. And I just want to play something real quick. Competitive attitude. We'll play fundamentally sound. We will not beat ourselves. That is our mission right here. Is that our mission though? Because the discipline tonight of this team on the penalties that might've cost us so many points and on special teams that lost the game was just not there. It just wasn't there, and that is the reason why we lost this game tonight. It's terrible. And the soft play calling, the soft play calling after that interception of like the one in a million chance you get that and you run two runs and then pass. Washington had two minutes left. Of course they were going to drive down the field. You could risk pass plays there. 
it's just it's just disappointing, man. It's just like me and my brother knew it was coming. And I feel like every Giants fan that's realistic about watching the Giants the past 10 years knew it was coming. This is like the worst loss I've seen since Deshaun. I was there when Deshaun just absolutely ripped my hat heart out. And I threw my hat into the stands. And after the night, I threw my phone on the ground. It's just it's just brutal stuff, man. Just absolutely brutal. And that's really all I got to say. But Daniel, oh, one last thing. Daniel Jones played great tonight, and that was pretty awesome to watch. And that's really Maddie, Maddie, Maddie. Great to have you on here, bro. But that's the crux of it too, right? Because like, not only did Matt make a great point about how Judge preached this whole thing about we won't beat ourselves, Judge also preached the same this thing in his press conference about being aggressive, right? Like that's the whole thing. The Belichick tree is aggressive. They don't play to lose; they play to win. And when they were faced with this moment where you can be aggressive, you make this one in twenty, one in eighteen game situation. James Bradbury makes that play one in eighteen games. He's been here eighteen games. He made that play once in that spot. The game was over. Washington was going to win the game, and Bradbury made a game-winning play. You don't lose the game after that. You can lose, though. And one way to lose is by not being aggressive. And he wasn't aggressive. Joe Judge promised aggression. He wasn't aggressive in that spot. He was not aggressive at all. You can blame it on Garrett. I'm not so sure who's making the calls there. I think Judge has a big say in what went down there with that run-one-pass crap. But I'm going to just throw that out there, and I'm not certain. This is Dan speaking again. Now we have similar voices, so I don't want to get confused. But I want to make that a point, and I want to be clear what Matt said. And we can get into this right now, Nick, because this is a good transition for this. Part of the reason why you need to be aggressive after that interception is because of how well Daniel Jones was playing. This was one of the best games of Daniel Jones' career. He looked awesome tonight. The whole shot to Caden Smith. The touch should be touchdown to Darius Slayton. Stepping up in the pocket, about to get clobbered, gets hit, throws a ball right on Slayton's hand for a would-be game-winning touchdown. All the other plays he made, this actual Slayton touchdown, the perfect ball he drops in there. And with that in mind, why are there's no aggression at the end? So I'll... Let's do this first, Nick, because we obviously have to tackle this, and I want to get your take on this, Nick. So first tackle the decision to run, run, put yourself in the third and long for then a throw, which, by the way, stops the clock. Like, the whole goal of that stupid run, run, run crap, because you know you're not getting a first down. You know you're not getting a first down because they're set up to stop the run, and now I'm getting mad again. You know you're not getting a first down when you run, run on that first, second down. There's no holes. There's no breaking stuff. That's how this team is. This team has never run block well for the last five to ten years. You're never getting a first with those first two runs. So you're trying to run clock. Fine. But then if you throw on third and long in an obvious throw spot, you have a risk of an incompletion. And then you stop the clock and defeat the whole purpose of those first two runs. So let me first ask you, Nick, about that. And then I want you to transition into your thoughts on Daniel Jones. So first about the run, run, pass. Did not love it, obviously. The mindset there is to obviously burn the timeouts and, and kind of chew the clock. Well, they chewed 16 seconds off. They chewed the two timeouts. That's all well and good. But the fact that earlier throughout the entire game, Jason Garrett, I felt like, did actually a pretty good job calling first down passing plays. Wasn't always play action. Sometimes it was just normal passing plays. And Daniel Jones did a very good job executing those passing plays. The receivers were doing a good job, specifically Darius Slayton getting I mean, not Darius Slayton, Sterling Shepard getting open in those plays. I felt like that was something that they did earlier throughout the entire game that led to the Giants potentially putting themselves in this winning position. James Bradbury comes up with a big play. Now you have the football. I get running the football there from the standpoint of that. But I think there, 
you have to be aggressive and you have to allow Daniel Jones to do what he's been doing the entire night, which was being efficient, which was being accurate, which was finding Sterling Shepard, Caden Smith, Kyle Rudolph, Kenny Gade, whoever it was in the short to intermediate parts of the field to keep the chains moving. I know you want to try to chew this clock up and waste the timeouts, but the fact that your defense has sucked, especially in the second half, yeah, they were good on those first two drives. That's great. But the defense sucked down the stretch of that game. They were not reliable. Terry McLaurin was tearing them up. Taylor Heineke, the last time Washington had the football, led a two-play drive for a touchdown. And Patrick Graham and his defense were just not in sync, it didn't seem like. It seemed like Scott Turner in that offense had the best of them. So I would like to see a little bit more aggression there and not just run, run, pass, very, very predictable, kick the field goal, and then just give Washington two minutes and a timeout to drive down the field and and get a win just to get in a field goal position. So I, I did not like that, obviously. And as for Daniel Jones, do you have anything you want to add before we get into Daniel Jones? Well, I think you broke it down well, Nick. I think part of the reason why I hate it so much is what you said. The Giants defense wasn't having a good night. It was clear. And so because of that, you need to be more aggressive, especially when that's one factor. And the other factor here, when you combine them two, is that Daniel Jones is playing well and he was playing well throwing on first down. You come out there, just imagine for a second. Let's take a step back, Nick, and just imagine a world there where Bradbury makes the interception. The Giants do what they did earlier. Because by the way, we had a series earlier where me and bro- my brother looked at ourselves because they brought on uh, two. It was, it was, I think it was the series before they brought on Caden and 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 Rudolph. So it was, it was the twenty, it was twelve personnel, the two tight ends. I think they had CJ Board on the field. My brother was like, "Oh God, CJ Board's on the field. We know it's a run." And Garrett ran a first down pass to Shepard that was, I'm not exactly sure the route, but it was like a 16-yard gain. Do you know the one I'm talking about? I I believe I do, yes. I don't remember the route, though. Great play call, brought on board, made it look so much like a run. We were so sure he was going to run, and he passes out of it. Starts that whole drive out with a nice 18-yard hole shot. Imagine a world where after the Bradbury picks, he shows run again. And runs goddamn play action. Let's Jones cook because Jones was cooking tonight. The balls were on point. He threw it with great accuracy and great ball placement. Come out on first and 10. Run play action out of that obvious rundown. You may pick up 12. You may pick up 10. You may pick up 15. You may pick up a touchdown and the game's goddamn over. But when you run the ball into a stack box like that, you're giving up. In my mind, it, I'm going to stand by this. I'm going to die on this hill. I know I've taken some heat already on Twitter for this take, and I don't give a crap. I'm never going to get on board with the run, run, field goal type BS. I, I just, that's not me. And it's not, there's a lot of, there's a large sample size now. There's a large sample size now that proves it's the wrong way to play. And over time, you lose when you do this crap. And this is not what Joe Judge promised. This is not what he promised when he came here. He promised that he would be aggressive in these spots. He promised he would be aggressive. He's not aggressive in these spots. And you know what? Honestly, Nick, in a lot of spots tonight, they were bailed out by Graham Gano, which we're going to get to in a bit. But that's what I want to add first. Now get to Daniel Jones. This is the good stuff. The Daniel Jones stuff is good. We have some good stuff to talk about now. Yeah, Daniel Jones, man. I mean, he really stepped up in this game. Just with his, just with a lot of those deep passes, and I wouldn't say his ball placement was great because there were some throws that were slightly behind. If we're going to nitpick, but at the end of the day, he was twenty-two of thirty-two for two hundred and forty-nine yards, a touchdown. I love how Jason Garrett implemented several RPOs, several zone reads. He had nine carries for ninety-five yards and a touchdown. Should have had two rushing touchdowns on the ground because that hold. I don't like blaming the refs, and I'm not saying they lost for the refs or anything like that because the Giants defeated themselves here and also tip of the cap to Washington, but that wasn't really an egregious hold by C.J. Board. I don't really think that's something that should have been called, so that could have been two 
rushing touchdowns. I like that Jason Garrett implemented that part of Daniel Jones' skill set because I feel like if you're going to maximize Daniel Jones as a player and as a prospect, as a professional quarterback, you need to unlock his ability to rush the football because that is one of his best traits, if we're going to be honest. But today, man, he was efficient throwing the football. His timing and his rhythm, they were they were really, really good. They were really, really in sync with the receivers, specifically Sterling Shepard. I feel like Kenny Galladay had a couple passes that he probably could have hauled in, but he didn't. Darius Slayton as well. The pass to Slayton for the touchdown was really, really just over the shoulder. Perfect pass. Beautiful. Beautiful. Sterling Shepard. Beautiful. Exactly. The one pass to Caden Smith was also really good. The one pass to Kyle Rudolph was solid. I think Sterling Shepard just continues, man. If we're going to speak positives here, try to forget the just absolute disaster that we just witnessed. Sterling Shepard, man, is is uh, is really fun to watch when he's healthy. I think a lot of people don't realize how talented he is as a route runner and as somebody who can release off the line of scrimmage, as somebody who knows how to just uncover against zone cut. He knows how to find the voids in zone and create his own space when running routes against defenders. And he showed that several times in this game. I really think if he's healthy, he could be a hundred catch guy for the Giants. I love that take, Nick. And I really think it keeps bearing itself out in the broadcast angle that everyone can see like tonight's game. And then when we go over the all 22, we felt great about Shepard when we broke down the all 22 this week and we poured hours into it. I'm sure we're going to have the same takeaway because he's right now fully healthy. If we're going to have the same takeaway after watching the all 22 this week, I, this is one player I'm definitely happy about them doing what they did, which was by the way, I mean, it's, it kind of got swept under the rug, but the giants restructured a couple contracts recently that pushed cap again, kicked a more cap down the road. Like they have a, they're just like, they loaded up for this season. This team can't be bad this season. Like, the way they've set this up, this team cannot be bad. Not only did we give Dave Dave Gettleman this fucking... Uh, I I have to stop myself there. I, I'm just... it's it's It angers me the way that some people talk about what Gettleman has done in these four years. But not only have they given him the draft capital and the OBJ trade that they allowed him to make to get those extra picks, but also they allowed him just fucking unload cap like i mean but like i was gonna say shepherd is one i'm okay with i'm okay with this like pushing his cap hit and like now kind of guaranteeing he'll be here next year based on how much dead cap is pushed back next year because like you said he's he's awesome man and not only that one underrated thing about shep nick he never drops a pass doesn't it seem like he just never drops a pass he's got great hands every time a ball goes to him it's like velcro and i don't want to blame galladay that ball that galladay that great ball by jones that that jones put on galladay on that first down vertical route it was a dpi it was a DPI, right? The guy held down Galladay's left hand. And so like it should have been called, yes. It should have been called. I see those not called a lot, weirdly, just when they kind of hold the left hand down. It sometimes doesn't get called, whatever. This game had some weird calls in general. I do not think that I'm curious what you think. I don't think Daniel Jones' touchdown run should have been called back by holding. I thought that was a weak call. What do you think about that one? Yeah, I mentioned it before. That was uh, that's not a call you make. CJ Board, I mean I don't think you call that. I feel like he had really good positioning. He was squared up. He right. was driving the cornerback. Uh, the cornerback wasn't getting off of his initial placement. Like I don't think that's one that you call. I think that was a pretty uh, ticky-tacky type of call that you see sometimes by refs who are trying to gain attention. It, <laughs> it and appears that's a tough one too, by the way. That's like four points that matter in this game. That's, I know. There's so many points that matter. The Giants played better than Washington tonight, man. Like these are the. This, it's just so many times now but we're on this takes. podcast. It's how many times now have we gone on this podcast since we started doing this together, dude, and said, like, the Giants outplayed the opposite team tonight, 
and we are left with a loss in the loss column. Like it's crazy how many times we've done this now. It's like it's like a nightmare. It's a it's a freaking nightmare how many times these result in losses. They outplayed Washington tonight in so many different ways. Time possession, yards, just like points that were left on the board. That Jones callback run when they false started their their asses out and kept this kick a field goal. In my mind, even after the Bradbury pick, when you're not aggressive and you're just settling for three, that's another four points you leave on the board. There's just so many points left on the board. But I want to give my take on Jones tonight because obviously I've been critical of Jones recently. I really thought if Jones can give us this every night, and again, this is a good Washington defense. I don't think the Washington defense is what everyone expected to be. I think if you ask Washington fans now, who are like the big blue banter version of the Giants fans versus Washington fans, like in-depth type X's and O's fans who consume the content like this, they'd probably tell you they're super disappointed in what they've seen from their Washington defense over these first two weeks. I think they had super high expectations. Like that could be a top five unit. That's not a top five unit either. Giants unit, obviously the defense is much worse than we expected it could be. And that's a reality we have to face right now. But Washington defense is the same boat. Like this defense is not that good, but it's still good. Like it's still the level of top 15 easy. And Jones carved it up for the most part. I mean, Jones really looked good tonight. The ball to Slayton, the touchdown, the the should be touchdown pass. Yes, you could put a little more and air under that and guarantee a touchdown. If you just have a Russell Wilson type arc on your throws or Kyler Murray type arc on your throws, it's an easy touchdown. Sure, I get it. He's wide open. But considering the fact that Jones had to step into the pocket there to avoid the rush and then knew he was getting hit, like the minute he delivered that ball, there was another guy right on him to hit him. It's a fine throw. Like it's good for those factors. And he's not the kind of guy who throws a lot of arc on his deep passes anyway. He puts a decent amount of arc, but it's a pretty flat ball for the most part in my mind. It's tall, but it's flat. And so like that ball needs to be caught. Like it hits Slayton in the hands. There's no one around him that needs to be caught. And the ball he threw for the touchdown, amazing ball. The ball to Caden Smith, amazing ball. Like I said in tweets, I say it again here on the podcast, Nick. Caden Smith should be playing snaps over Kyle Rudolph. This is a ghost of Kyle Rudolph type situation. Yeah, he made one total good catch in this game. That's because, like you said, Jones stuck that ball on him. That was a stick throw by Jones with velocity, with ball placement that hit Rudolph right in his hands. Rudolph did nothing in my mind on that route. Anyone could run that route. Caden Smith can run that route. Caden Smith ran a much better route on the good ball. Jones shot his way. So I'm done with Rudolph. It was a bad signing. Like, I don't want to go that far, but like at the same time, just this is looking gross to me. I don't think he offers that much for this team. Jam move by Gettleman, classic Gettleman jam move. But having said that, back to Jones, because I'm going on a tangent here. I- I'm I'm raw here, man, Nick. I- I'm trying my best, dude, but I'm emotional. The JMO's kicking in now. And I just want to say this. Kudos to Daniel Jones, because you had a hell of a game, man. You had a hell of a football game, and it got robbed. In my mind, Daniel Jones was robbed of a great night. I agree with that. I do. I think Daniel Jones did... Everything he needed to do with his arm, did everything he needed to do with his legs. And from a a processing standpoint, there's only really one play where I think he missed, or two plays I think where he missed a read that he should have hit. This is from the broadcast. There was the one Sterling Shepard. It wasn't a screen because no no offensive line were kicking out, but he just kind of stood on the line of scrimmage. He was wide open and Jones did not notice it, but the pressure was kind of heavy. And I want to talk about the pressure here in a second. And then there was another one where he missed Kenny Galladay on a a pretty easy post route. Outside of that, he looked really, really good in this game. And and 
I'm impressed that he did this in prime time. But uh, Darius Slayton is somebody I kind of wanted to bring up to you. Yeah. I know I texted you about it. I just this inefficiency with Slayton is just it's kind of getting under my skin a little bit because there's, there's just passes that that hit him in the hands that he doesn't bring in, and obviously the touchdown, the second touchdown that he would have had. Uh, is one that really kind of sticks out. But there are other ones where it's like, oh, yeah, it's a contested catch situation, and, you know, it's it's going to be a tough catch, and then he never comes up with it. And it, it's starting to kind of piss me off a little bit. I don't blame you. I mean, these mental mistakes, if you want to call them that, I don't know what you want to call it with Kenny Gall. I'm sorry, with Darius Slayton. Um but yeah, man, it, you're right. I mean, that's two games in a row, really, with this at this point. Um, the one comeback that he dropped, I wouldn't even call it a drop. It was like a tight window throw and stuff. But the bomb, like, you got to make that catch. Like, yeah, loft it up and it's a guarantee, but you still got to make that catch. And that's it. Like, if, if Slayton just brings in that obvious touch, and this is why it's so frustrating, this team, man. Like, oh, my God, dude. If they score to go up 30, what would it be, 30-20 at that point with 543 left or 513 left, one of those two numbers was the right one. That's it. Like Washington, the way that Graham was playing that calling that game, Washington would have taken a long time to get down the field. They might have had to settle for three. Even if they score seven, there's probably like two minutes left and they're down three. And I just feel like that's kind of the game. Uh, I don't know if that's a guarantee if they score a touchdown, but it just feels like, you know, these moments for the Giants slip by game after game after game, bad break after bad break, points left on the board, points left on the board. Some of it is bad luck, but some of it is coaching. And that's what has to, that's the reality of the situation we have to face. When you slam the ball into the line of scrimmage twice after that Bradbury interception with zero deception, obvious rundowns, and you just slam it in and set up for that third and long, you're asking for it, man. You're asking for it. You really and truly are asking for it. And it wasn't the only time, man, when they got into some of those, the third and two with the false starts. Like, that's one thing that's penalties. That's stuff that, you you know, Joe Judge is supposed to be great at. You know, this team's not supposed to be making these mental errors. It's Joe Judge. He's a legend. He's a legend. What legend? They won six games last year, and four were against quarterbacks who are not starting in the NFL this year because they suck at football. I mean, come on. Let's face the reality of this team right now. And I don't know, man. I, I just, it's so, it's so raw. It's so emotional. This is just the word, like my brother said it best. It's the worst I've felt since that Deshaun game. It is, man. And it's also because, you know, this is the second game of the season. This is a primetime game and there's something to primetime games, divisional matchup against the Washington football team. You get up for it. You had a very disappointing week one. We expected them to kind of come out and redeem themselves. And ironically enough, they redeemed themselves on the side of the football that we did not expect. And that is the offensive side of the football. And this defense is still going to be a concern. Like I'm very excited to get this all 22 and kind of break this down to see what the hell keeps going wrong here. Is it the same mistakes uh, that we saw in week one against Denver. I know some of the plays were from what I saw from the broadcast, but why Why is James Bradbury getting beat by Terry? Is it just because Terry McLaurin is really good? Because Terry McLaurin is really good. It could just <laughs> yeah. be that. It could just be that. And you know what? Maybe James Bradbury isn't going to live up to his 2020 form. That doesn't mean he can't be a very good cornerback, but he's just not going to be as shut down as he was last season. So I'm really intrigued to get into that all 22. But I, I also want to bring up, man, the offensive line was weird because – Nick Gates ended up getting injured. And then I feel like after that Nick Gates injury, Daniel Jones was under a lot of pressure. They were sending, I think they sent like uh, the house, like did like cover zero once or twice Washington and, and Daniel Jones just like got scattered eyes and just took the sack. They were sending some pressure against him, but then Daniel Jones stabilized. And then the blocking stabilized. And then Daniel Jones had some pockets. And I was like, oh, look at this. And I felt like Daniel Jones had solid pockets against Denver. Like, I didn't feel like the pass protection against Denver was as bad as I expected going into the game. But 
it were some really nice pockets against Washington that I that I actually ended up being like, okay, you're doing this against Montez Sweat and Chase Young. That's a kind of impressive from a unit that I think we can both agree doesn't have that much talent. Yeah, you're right. I mean, it's hard to argue against that. I don't. I'm I'm trying to think like what to make of what we saw from the offensive line because it was a devastating moment when Nick Gates went down. Man, like, devastating devastating like just from a fan standpoint like we are doing we are hitting this as analysts our goal on this and what we've said the entire time throughout big blue banter is that we will not cave to the fan you know to the homerism of this giants whatever you call it the giants content sphere i'll call it we will never cave to the homers and we're going to give objective takes throughout this entire time and yet i found myself from a very fan standpoint feeling so bad emotionally for gates because gates is a guy who worked his ass off to where he is, an undrafted free agent that Gettleman saw something in. This is probably ultimately Gettleman's like lasting good move for the Giants. Like, and he hasn't done much well. There really has not been much good from this dude. Like, when you consider what he's been given, the insane amount of draft capital, the extra draft capital from Odo Beckham, and an owner who says, spend however the hell you want, dip into future years of cap to make give us a, a winning team. And yet we're four years into this thing and we're 0 2. But Gates is one of his lasting wins. It's one of his only wins. And yet this guy came from undrafted, fought his way. He played tackle at college in Nebraska, was asked to move inside, played some starts at guard. Then he's asked to learn center. He learned center really well. And now tonight he's asked to come out and, and play some guard because, they need, you know, they, they want to get Bredesen out of the lineup, basically. The Bredesen-Lemieux disaster that is the that was the left guard situation in week one. And so they're like, listen, we can improve the whole line. We move Gates over to guard and put and put price in at center and we'll get to that because there's going to be a lot to talk about on the all 22 when it comes to this offensive line with price and with all the new pieces but he does that and then he you know has this unfortunate injury and it's tough to not feel emotionally bad for this guy who worked so hard to get here and did so much but that's my one take there and then i will say this overall like like you said i mean like listen the offensive line held its own in this game with the exact the run game is a work in progress clearly like it's not a situation nick i think we can both agree with this now where like they're just picking up where they left off in that second half of 2020 when they were really finding nice gains with gallman in that run game barkley barkley broke one it was a well-blocked play i think we'll see it on the tape barkley also did some stuff there but that was kind of it right that was like the one success they had in the run game this entire night so yeah they had that in in a five-yard gain i think the first actually run of the uh of the game for them was, was a solid, I would say run. But other than that, you're right. Yeah. So it's a work in progress, but pass production wise, I, I thought we saw some good things. I mean, we'll have to look at the film, but you got to feel like the tackles definitely t- took the step forward in this game. Just the fact that they weren't getting completely embarrassed. I think there were right. a couple negative Nate Solder reps, but I think we're going to expect that for every single game. Sadly, just at this stage of Nate Solder's career, he's an older player who hasn't played since 2019. What do you expect? You know what I'm saying? And that's what happens right. when you put all your chips in the Matt Parrott basket and Matt Parrott can't live up to the 99th overall selection the Giants spent on him in the 2020 draft. I mean, it's it's a disappointing situation for sure. We obviously want Matt Parrott to be starting, but I trust uh, this coaching staff and their ability to evaluate their players that Matt Parrott isn't ready. And it's not like Matt Parrott has proven to us, the fans and people on the outside, that he is ready because he does make mistakes when he gets in there. Yeah, you're right about that. All right. What else do we want to get to here? What else do we want to get to here? I think Actually, my brother's chomping at the bit. He's got another hot take. So this is a this is a rare big blue banter form podcast. We're in Austin with my brother, a little mini vacation. 
trying to have a good time. This Giants team makes it really hard to enjoy our lives. Like, God damn you. God damn you for this. Just, But he's got another hot take, so we got to let him on the mic. Nick, just want I just want to bring this up real quick. And and, I, and going back to my brother said, we are cursed right now. We are a cursed team, and that's what's definitely going on. But, Nick, I want to bring this up. I feel like the fans want to feel this too. We drafted this guy, Kadarius Tony, in the first round, and I think he's played maybe six snaps. Like, I, I, where, is he on the field? Like, you got drafted. I know, I understand he was injured. Yes, he didn't play in OTAs. Like, whatever. So did Saquon. He's on the field 80% of the time now. So, like, what is the point of drafting a guy in the first round overall if he's never going to see the field? Like, you just, it just feels like a waste of a pick. Like, just, I mean, like, get it. We get the Bears pick. It's going to be nice maybe to have next year, but like, you keep looking at it and it's like Kadarius, the guy who's not on the field in the Bears pick next year, or like Rashawn Slater, a guy who's a who's already looking amazing with the Chargers. It's just like, what what is going on here? And it just, it just bothers me. Nick, what do you think? No, I, I totally understand exactly where you're coming from because it's frustrating when you spend a first round pick on a player and you don't see him. I think the injury, I think there's merit to that. I think this being a short week, there's definitely merit to that as well. I think that's another reason why we didn't see him as much as we would like. Hopefully in week three against the Falcons, a game the Giants should ostensibly win. Uh, we see a little bit more of him. But even like, I, I want to separate though because I understand the Bears pick and, and I'm all for that Bears pick. I think that was a smart move by this regime. But the Bears pick is removed from Kadarius Tony because yes, you traded down to 20, but you didn't have to select Kadarius Tony at 20. Right. You could have went Christian Darisol. You could have went Kowiti Pei. You could have went a Rashad Bateman if you wanted another receiver. Elijah Moore. Elijah Moore. Or if you wanted a cornerback, Greg Newsom. There, there were plenty Greg of players. It's great so far. Yeah, Peyton Turner for for the edges. I remember we really liked him coming out of Houston. He ended up uh, getting drafted to the Saints. So there was a lot of players that we like. You didn't have to go Kadarius Tony. And when they went Kadarius Tony, Dan and myself, two guys who really followed the draft in depthly, we were pretty shocked to be honest. And I feel like Kadarius Tony can offer a lot to this offense from an athletic standpoint, but there's no doubt that he's raw. This is somebody who didn't earn at the college level, at the collegiate level. He didn't earn a full time role until his senior season. But there's no doubt there's skills there. But the fact that he's not getting on the field, Maddie, I, I totally agree. It, it's frustrating because you know that this coaching staff has said, we have a plan for him. We're going to utilize that plan. We haven't seen that plan outside of a basically negative six-yard tap pass that was very, very predictable against Von Miller to the boundary on a double Y set. So I saw him out there a couple times that he wasn't really used. I think he ran a drag route to kind of suck up a cornerback that allowed a uh, Sterling Shepard uh, deep seven route. I think it was, and maybe he played a, I don't really know the snap count. Saw him a couple times out there instead of um, Darius Slayton, but definitely not a full compliment. Definitely not something that you expect from a first round pick. But I think just to be fair, we have to realize it is a short week and he did miss basically all of training camp. Yeah. I think you covered that really well, Nick. I think this is Dan speaking again. I know my brother and I have some, uh, <laughs> some similar voices. And by the way, let us know if you like this guest appearance or Matt. We could, we could work in some more weird guest appearances that are fun and funky and fun. Who knows? If you guys enjoy it, let us know. If not, we won't do it. But I think, Nick, you nailed it. Like, this is a short week. It's a mental thing. I mean, according to them, like, I don't know where I stand on this, Nick, because I think that is oftentimes used as a nice little excuse for coaching staffs to not play a player like that. Like, 
how much does how mentally far advanced does Kadarius Tony need to be to be down the field as even just a decoy, someone who is being used on those jet sweeps or fakes in space to kind of just create stuff and just create misdirection, create defense's eyes going in different directions. They got to get him involved. Like this is, it's it it's not something where like you can keep going. We're gonna hit week six and he's still not involved. I agree with Matt from that standpoint at least. Like enough is at some point enough is enough with this because this offense was good tonight, but it can be better. It, it definitely can. And, and I'm not suggesting that it's this, but I hope this doesn't end up being a like Sonoris Moss type of situation. And I know he was a second round pick, but like a receiver who was fast, had a lot of exciting plays when he was in college, but then he gets to the NFL and it just never translate because the offensive quarter never really figures out a way to implement his skill set into his scheme. I, I really hope that doesn't end up happening. And, and time will tell. Obviously, we at the Big Blue Banter podcast, we're not out on Kadarius Tony. We're just a little frustrated that he hasn't uh, – that we haven't seen enough of him from a first-round pick, your new shiny toy that you added to Daniel Jones' arsenal. We just haven't seen enough. And there's a lot of variables that go into that as we laid out over the last five minutes. Yep. You nailed it, Nick. All right. Um, anything else you want to touch on? I guess where are we at in this? What, uh, what else have we missed? I mean, we really got to get to this all. Tw- I'm really excited actually to get to the all 22 as frustrated as I am. Like this was a gut wrenching loss. It, it, it definitely was. I mean, from, from both, I mean, the defensive side of the football, which is one that I, we did not expect. I expected the defense to come out hungry. Those first two drives, they looked really, really hungry. And then, I mean, we had the sack that Aziz Ojolari sack, which was a little bit more of a covered sack. It seems like Taylor Heineke tried to escape the pocket. Aziz Ojolari kind of got that cleanup sack, and that was really, really good. Two sacks on the season for Aziz, which you'd love to see. But the defense, from a coverage standpoint, man, they're just not in sync. And I mean, the spatial awareness in the zone is just not there, as we've said. It wasn't there against Denver. It didn't seem like it was there tonight. And then one-on-one matchups, players are just losing. They're just losing one-on-one matchups in key situations. You need these players to step up big. And when they do step up big, as they did at the end of the game, James Bradbury, you need the offense to be maybe a bit more aggressive to ensure a win and not just kind of settle for a field goal with plenty of time on the clock and timeouts left for the opposing team to drive down and get themselves in the field goal range to kick that field goal, which ended up happening. I mean, it's just a, it just seems like a Giants way to lose. I wonder, I'm sure other fan bases who suck also say the same thing, though. Yeah, I wonder if this is like just us feeling cursed or this is a reality. It's hard to tell when you're in this bubble. It's really hard to tell. It's crazy that we got to this bubble. Like this bubble wasn't here, man. The Giants were not this team. You got to take a step back and think about this. The Giants won a Super Bowl in 2007, 2011. All the years in between then and before then weren't amazing. But there was 08 where they were the most dominant team I've seen them be in my lifetime. And even after 2011 with Eli, there were some competitive years. But since that break, for the last five years, they've been unbelievably uncompetitive. Like, just unbelievably uncompetitive from a win-loss standpoint. And there's been one GM for four of those five years. And yet, people want to defend this guy. People want to defend this guy and act like he shouldn't have been fired last offseason. A lot of people were good with him coming back this offseason. A lot of people. Not me. Not me. But a lot of people were good with that. And we got to take a step back and look in the mirror and understand where the Giants are at. Now, it's not all his fault. It's a lot his fault in my mind. The GM is picking the ingredients. He's jamming picks down people's throats. But it's a lot on Mara as well. Where has Mara got us to? Since his father passed away, the matriarch of that or the patriarch, the matri- the patriarch. Did you say the matriarch? The patriarch. <laughs> yeah, the patriarch of that family. 
that's not going to be edited out. That's a disaster miss by me. This is bordering on worse than the wide receiver corpse miss by me. I'm losing my mind here is what we're getting at. But since his passing, this team, yeah, it had some Super Bowls after that, but it's been a little lost. And there's one thing I talked about with my brother earlier on this trip that I'm curious to get your take on. This is going a little off. Off the game, Nick, off the beaten path, a little bit of a more 30,000-foot view topic point. But I do feel like John Mara gives into fan pressure a lot. I feel like John Mara gives into fan pressure a whole lot. What the fans and what, what the media and what the talking points are saying, a lot of times he's going to give into that. Like, get yourself a Galladay this offseason. Have this really aggressive offseason, which we wanted, Nick. Me and you both wanted to an extent. But if they're not going to win football games, then me and you are wrong to have wanted that. Like, if this team bottoms out at another six-win season after jamming all their cap forward for this year, it's a mistake because it leaves them in a position next year where they can't trade for Aaron Rodgers. And when they really have to double down on if if Jones isn't the guy, like where they really have to double down there no matter what. And so I do honestly feel like Mara has a lot of the blame here, but it's crazy, man, that we've gotten to this point. Like, the Giants are the only team in the NFL that hasn't had a winning record since 2017. Why is that the New York Giants? When did they become this absolute disaster? They became that absolute disaster, it seems like, somewhere after Coughlin's firing and after right. that first Ben McAdoo season where they made the playoffs in 2016, which I'm not trying to take anything away from that season, but it was somewhat fluky. It was very reliant on opportunistic defensive plays, which there's a lot of value in those, but those are also kind of contingent on a lot of variables happening that can't be replicated. And we saw that in 2017. So I don't really think that team was all that great. I mean, I think they had talented players, but we saw the next year what ended up happening and how the locker room just ended up collapsing. And then people ended up getting fired and it was just an absolute mess, which spawned, Something hiring Dave Gettleman, a person who has a lot of familiarity with the Giants, and now we're in the situation we're in now, and it hasn't looked great ever since Gettleman came in here to be the general manager to fix this offensive line. That hasn't happened. Daniel Jones, jury's still out on Daniel Jones at the moment. The defense looked great in 2020. It's letting down through two games. I know it's not a big sample size, but still two games, and two you know important games, two winnable games. To be honest, you know, it's um, it's it's been a disappointment basically for the last what several years, several years. And, and I know you, you share the same feeling. We're kind of waiting for the page to turn for this chapter to end. We thought this season potentially it could be. And I know Dallas is probably going to be good. Washington isn't as good as we expected. Philadelphia might be a little bit better than we expected. But the Giants seem like they're worse than we expected. And that sucks, man. Yeah, I really felt like at one point, at least like it was closer to like the June time and like the post draft time, I guess, where I did really feel like this team was destined for 10 to 11 win, 11 win season. I don't know if I feel that way anymore, Nick. I don't know if I feel that way at 0-2. I just don't know. And and not yeah. just 0-2. It's like a lot of what you said, man, like the defense is playing really bad football right now. Defense is not good. Defense is worse than it was last year. That's not good. It's a really bad sign. And yet, 
even if we just take away the defense and the offense, right? Like those are two factors we always talk about. It's what we spend most of our time on the Big Blue Banter podcast breaking down. So we spend all of the all 22 breaking down. But we're not in that sense breaking down special teams and coaching. And special teams and coaching have been really, really bad so far for the Giants. That's the reality of the situation. By the way, as a side note, Riley Dixon's been really good. He's been a whipping boy of mine in the past. Loved Riley Dixon tonight. Had a really nice punt, by the way. Yeah, one of the I points. love that you brought that up, dude. Yeah. And one of the, that, kudos to you, bro, for bringing that up. <laughs> and one of the funniest things about the Riley Dixon storyline and narrative on the Big Blue Banter podcast is I like had a couple like bashes of him in the offseason. It's not even his fault. It's mostly just that he's like paid a stupid amount by Gettleman. Like he's like paid as like one of the top eight punters and he's not. And then immediately after like one of those podcasts, Riley Dixon followed me on Twitter. I was like, in my head, I'm like, dude, like I don't really get this. Like I'm trying to figure out, like, did he follow me after listening to me bash him? Or did he, like, luckily, like, follow, like, did he randomly walk into my account and follow me? I'm like, no way this guy can listen to my podcast and follow me. But anyway, Riley Dixon, great night, buddy. But special teams and coaching right now are not there. Are not quite, quite frankly, we've been outcoached in both games. The Giants have been outcoached in both games. Judge. Joe Judge has been built up by Giants Twitter and Giants, some Giants fans, as a savior coach. I'm not seeing that right now, Nick. I'll be quite frank with you. I'm not seeing that. No. I mean, like we always say, you can say all the right things in front of the microphone, which I do respect about Joe Judge, and I feel Joe Judge does that well. But at the end of the day, it comes down to two things. How many wins do you have in the win column, and how many losses do you have in the loss column? Right now, the Giants are 0-2. It's that simple. You need to win football games in the NFL. If you don't win football games in the NFL, that's a one-way ticket to being unemployed. All right. And they're six like, and, and they're six and twelve, by the way, in total yeah. under Joe Judge. Yes, and I like Joe Judge. I am not writing Joe Judge off. I am not saying that Joe Judge is a bad coach. I'm not saying any of that. I'm saying he has to do better. And I'm sure that the first person, this is something about Joe Judge that I do value. I'm sure the first person that would acknowledge that is Joe Judge himself. So hopefully something happens. I mean, I don't know how Atlanta is going to play this week, but the Giants have an extra couple days to prepare for the Atlanta Falcons, a team that just got embarrassed at home by the Philadelphia Eagles. Now they have to go play the Super Bowl champion Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So that probably doesn't go well for all them. And like the Giants have to come out strong in week three against that team that looked just horrendous in week one. Yeah, you're right. And I want to make it clear, I'm not out on Joe Judge. And I'm not saying he's a bad coach. What I'm saying is he's not the great coach everyone's made him out to be. And I've made that clear. Yeah, yeah, it's 100% of a a fair comment by you. I mean, if anybody disputes that, I don't know what they're looking at because he's not winning the games that you need to to qualify as a great head coach. (laughs) Right. And some of them, in my mind, are based on his decisions. Like, not fully, but I've played a factor in it. Tonight, they played a factor in it. Like, I don't know who that's on, Garrett or Judge, with that run-run pass crap at the end. But that, to me, is a little bit Judge after what I've seen last year, where he punted a lot in the opponent's territory on fourth and short, sometimes even fourth and two or less, uh, to try not to lose. And and he promised the aggressive. He promised the Belichick. The Belichick doesn't do that crap. Belichick goes for it. You know, Belichick plays to win. He's an aggressive coach. He promised that in his intro. So I, w- I just want to see more of that, basically, from him, because he promised that. But... um. Back to what you said, Nick, um, just aside from that, 
as far as the Falcons game goes. It's a must-win game. Let's be honest about the situation. The Falcons looked atrocious in week one. They have really bad situation on their offensive line. And by the way, they're just such a funny example, Nick, about roster building because the Falcons had that season. I talked about this with my brother earlier when we were talking about just fantasy stuff. The Falcons had that season where they doubled up on their offensive line. Two first-round picks on the offensive line. Their offensive line is a disaster right now. It was destroyed by the Eagles' defensive line. It's why they lost that game. I'm it's not going to lie, though, Dan. Like, not to cut you off. But yeah, like, yeah, go, go, go for it. I felt like those picks were a little qu- – like, Chris Lindstrom, I liked the kid from Boston College, the guard. I felt like he was a solid, like, second-round type of pick. They got drafted in the first right. round. I'm not going to throw a fit about that. But Caleb McGarry, you know, I like Caleb McGarry, but as a first-round pick, I, I was a little uh, – I was a little um, – I questioned that selection by the Falcons. Right. And listen, you were right to because Caleb McCary hasn't been good and neither has Lindstrom. So like that offensive line's in a bad shape. Their defensive line's in equally bad shape, like even worse shape almost where that's also where they lost that game. So this is a must win game for the Giants. The Giants must go one and two. And it's crazy. Like I came out today and I said to you, Nick, throughout the week, I said the Giants will win this game against Washington. The Giants will win this game against Washington. They should have won this game against Washington. It's crazy, man. Like how do we wa- just nuts that they lost this game, dude. That's like my final point is just like, how is this a loss? How is this a loss? It, yeah, no, you're hundred percent. You're hundred percent accurate, man. And then just to give a uh, Giants fans the outline of what's happening after the Falcons game, Giants got to play at New Orleans, at Dallas, and then they host the Rams before hosting the Panthers. How many of those games are winnable? The way the Panthers' defense is playing right now, I feel like the Panthers' defense is making the same exact jump from 2020 to 2021 that the Giants' defense made from 2019 to 2020. I think they're going to carry the momentum. Well, sometimes the defense is a lot about just carrying the momentum. They added the pieces, like some core pieces in Jeremy Chin and Brian Burns and some of the guys they've added. And what I saw, like I, I got a chance to watch that game really on, on the fast version, the condensed version against the Jets. I mean, maybe it's the Jets being bad, but that defense looked like it was taking a step forward. I actually love, by the way, just for gamblers out there who are following the podcast. I know some people love the gambling talk, so I'll throw it out there time to time. Love If you can get Panthers with the hook this weekend, Panthers plus three and a half or more than Panthers or more than three and a half, take it. The Saints may win this one by a field goal, but I think I'm very confident the Panthers will cover that spread. Oh, I like that. Okay, that, that's nice. And then after, don't worry, though, because on November 1st, the Giants have a cupcake walk against the Kansas City Chiefs at Arrowhead. <laughs> <laughs> and then the Bucks are, like, next after that, right? Aren't the Bucks uh, coming? Two games later. I think yeah. the Raiders are after that. But um, I want to bring up one more thing just because we haven't touched on it too much, and we love to, to kind of call it as it is. Uh, and Jason Garrett hasn't been a good offensive coordinator whatsoever for the New York Giants, but that opening script was really nice. And I know we brought it up a little bit in the beginning, but to end this podcast, I kind of want to just just kind of give him his acknowledgement there because he's been under a lot of heat, rightfully so. He deserves all the heat he can get. He deserves the Arizona heat, if I'm going to be honest with you. Yeah. But that, that opening script was solid, Dan, and, and it was impressive, and it led the Giants down, ended up getting that touchdown, Daniel Jones using his legs. And um, I hope that he continues kind of deviating from that just anemic 2020 offense we saw. No doubt about it. We're recording this bad boy from Arizona and Austin, Texas. I think if I had told you, Nick, at this time last year, 12 months ago, that at some point we were recording the Big Blue Banter podcast from Arizona and Austin, you would have laughed in my face and said that had no little, no possibility of happening. But that's where tonight's (laughs) podcast happened in a Deshaun Jackson-esque game, the Deshaun Jackson return. That's what we're faced with. I'm sitting in a hotel room. I have to do some work after this. I'm racking my brain. I just... 
I can't believe that just happened, man. But we're going to have to find a way to get over it. Us, the fans who listen, everyone. We have to move forward. We have to think about what's next for this team. And we'll be here with the Big Blue Banter Podcast. We'll be talking about the Giants this week. We have two podcasts coming. The All-22 Coaches Film Breakdown of the Offense. The All-22 Coaches Film Breakdown of the Defense. If you're new to the podcast, and you might be, we've been hearing new listeners lately. Just know, during the week, our cru- the crux of this show, the Big Blue Banter, is that we break down the coaches' film, the All-22 film, of this football team, and we find the why. The what and the why for what's happening with the Giants. Not just the talking points, not just what you hear on me in the media from talking heads or on Twitter or wherever you consume your news. We find the why and the what based on the film, the X's and O's, the strategy and the analytics. And we'll be delivering that during the week, so stick with us. If you want to help us out, hook us up, leave us an iTunes rating and review. If you put a question in the iTunes rating review, we'll answer it. We know we're a little backed up there. I told actually a couple guys on Twitter sent me really, really freaking good questions about the Giants. And these are 30,000 foot view questions, which are my favorite to answer, by the way, like the 30,000 foot roster building long term picture view questions about the Giants. We're going to get to that. We're going to do a mailbag podcast this week once I return from Austin. Me and Nick will hook up and talk about that this week. But So no questions will be answered on this pod for that answer. But leave us a rating and review and write a question in, and we'll definitely hit that up for sure. Otherwise, follow us on Instagram. And then YouTube, man. Nick's been grinding out YouTube. He put up two freaking awesome breakdowns on video this week. Check those out. I know a lot of you have already done it, but if you haven't, head over there. He's going to have more. Like Find out the why with this team through the film breakdowns. That's what we have to offer you. Things will get better. We're excited to finally talk about this team when they're good again. We don't know when that's going to be. I can't lie to you at this point. I can't tell you right now. I can't sit here and bullshit you like some Giants podcasts will do. None that I'm calling out, by the way. I don't. I really don't even listen to many others. I love what Bobby and Justin do, so that has nothing to do with them. They're a great podcast. But like, I'm sure there are some Giants fans on podcasts or whatever, content creators on Twitter, I want to get off into this, that will bullshit you and tell you that we're going to be great now. We're going to be great tomorrow. We're going to be great next year. I don't know when we're going to be good, but when we're good, we're excited for that. Me and Nick can't wait to dive into great content. Like We want to break down film on a 12-win team. We'll get there. We promise you. We'll be there when we get there. It will happen. I can't tell you it's going to happen soon. In my mind, Gettleman needs to go. We'll talk about the other parts, but that's the number one thing. They need to find a GM who's going to do a much better job with his draft capital than David Gettleman has clearly done. Like At this point, anyone defending Gettleman at this point, Nick, I'm losing my patience for that. I'll be honest with you. I'll wrap it up there. I feel you, brother. I feel you. I just saw this uh, something right before we get out of here. Zach, yeah, Rosenblatt, Zach Rosenblatt tweeted a um, – it looks like Kadarius Tony posted something to his Instagram. Oh, um, no. Yeah, it says uh, he was visibly uh, – this is what Zach Rosenblatt tweeted. Quote, Kadarius Tony posted this to his Instagram. He was visibly upset at one point on the sideline in the second half after speaking with Joe Judge. Nothing at a Galladay Jones level, but clearly wasn't happy. And then the picture is of, it looks like Darius Tony holding a bunch of money with a cigarette in his mouth. And it says, I don't be mad. Shit just be lame to me for real. So I don't, I don't really know exactly what is going on there, but I felt just because I just saw it on my timeline, it's something to probably bring up. That's definitely something to bring up. Let's talk about that a little bit. We didn't even, we glossed over the Galladay Jones situation. That wasn't great, right? Like Galladay and Jones not on the same page, clearly. Galladay has not been a big part of this offense. This 
They hugged after in the post game, according to my brother, who just jumped in to give me a little knowledge, which is good. Apparently, jo- jo- uh, Jones and Galladay back on the same page, I hope. But obviously, quite clearly, when the Giants are dumping $84 million into a receiver, he needs to be a much bigger part of this offense. And that will hopefully happen. If it doesn't happen, that's on the Giants. That's on Garrett and all the other pieces involved. But as far as the Tony thing goes, Nick, because we should talk about that, my friend who was at the game did send me a picture of Tony on the sideline with Judge in a one-on-one conversation, kind of pissed off, and he was kind of had field-level seats, so he saw this interaction apparently. So something is brewing there, obviously. I don't love to hear that, what you said about the social media thing with Tony. That doesn't sound good at all. Like doesn't sound like the player they want. Listen, man, the Giants make this whole stink about finding the right guys. It's why they prioritized Andrew Thomas. He was so well-spoken. But, I mean, and a lot of their other picks. But then they make the the DeAndre Baker pick. And then they make the Darius Tony pick. So it's like, it seems very picky and choosy here. And I haven't gotten a good vibe from Tony from the very start. I'm hoping he proves me wrong. But this is not great to hear this. No, it's not. And again, I, I'm not even 100% certain if it's 100% verified. I'm just kind of saying it because Zach Rosenblatt, somebody I respect who covers the Giants, uh, reported it. So if this comes out by the time you're listening to it and it's bull crap, I'm just, yeah. uh, I don't want to be liable for that crap. You know what I'm saying? All good. It's reaction pop. We're going to have that from time to time without a doubt. All right, Nick, anything else or do you want to get out of here? Nah, man, we good. Uh, let's, uh, let's wait for this all 22, bro. Yep, wait for the all 22. Stick with us on the Big Blue Bander podcast. Have a great rest of your week, and we'll talk to you soon. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about, but why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.